0: Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, Man, you look good this morning. Now turn back to that same person and say, Almost as good as I do. Now, husbands use wisdom. Don't want to be solving more problems than we have to already. Amen. It is an absolute honor and privilege to be here with you. This morning, and I realize you are standing, and I won't be long before you sit down. Uh, I I heard through the grapevine that Brother David Keller just did an awesome, awesome job last week. (laughs) Amen. And ministering. Amen. There's him, your pastor, and all the other ministers that fill uh, behind the responsibility of ministering in this pulpit. So I have my job, job cut out for me absolutely this morning. And uh, my goal, though, is not to be them. Uh, I can't be them. And so I believe God has given me something to, to deliver to you this morning. And, and it may be a bit unorthodox and a little bit different than what you're used to. Uh, but you've got to understand, uh, I'm, I'm a minister and I'm a therapist. Okay, so I, I kind of feel like God has called me to both of those. And so not that I'm going to be doing therapy with you this morning. But just, uh, you know, we'll probably do a whole lot more talking than I will preaching. Alright? Amen. Amen. Very thankful for your pastor. Amen. and His wonderful wife. Amen for the invitation to be here. You know, he is not speaking uh, metaphorically or, or even haphazardly when he says that uh, there is a strong woman and a wonderful person that stands behind him and helps him out in ministry here at the church. And so behind every great minister is a woman that carries a tremendous load. And so I'm appreciative for Sister Brown and the ministry she has here at this church. Amen. Amen. As you open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 61, begin reading at verse 1. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. It's a very famous New Testament passage of Scripture. You're saying, well, but we're opening it up in the Old Testament. Exactly. It's quoted by Jesus in the New Testament. So we're going to go straight to the Old Testament and read it out of Isaiah 61. one. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up, the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, and to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. And then I want to direct you to a passage of scripture that says, He hath set me to bind up the brokenhearted. The brokenhearted literally means shattered, smashed, torn into pieces, unable to possibly put back together again. But the word bind up literally means to wrap around. I believe what God is going to do in this place this morning is wrap his spirit around you in such a way that the brokenness of your life is brought back together and you begin to feel some healing that God wants to do in your life in this church this morning. Would you put your Bibles down right now? Would you join the hands of the person standing next to you? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now, Father. So thankful for what we felt so far in this service. Lord, I pray in your name that you would continue to move and speak, God, as you had thus far. I pray you would anoint, strengthen and touch, open up every mind that they might understand what it is that you have for us this morning. Anoint my lips, God, to communicate clearly, Lord, that which you've given me, Lord. Help us, Lord, give us ears to hear, a spirit to receive that which the Spirit saith unto the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. I want to teach on this topic this morning, healing broken relationships. I realize that in this setting, there is married couples, single grandparents. There's everyone at every stage of life, it seems like. And it's going to be impossible for me to give specifics for where you're at and what you're going to need specifically for you. Uh, There's not enough time. It would take weeks for me to be able to do that from a therapeutic standpoint. But what God can do in 40 minutes, therapy cannot do in years. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. He knows every need. He knows every situation. And in this brief time together this morning, God could reach down and He can touch where you're at in your situation. There was a a couple that was uh, getting ready for church on Sunday morning. And and she was kind of taking some extra time with her hair. She just washed it the night before. And you know how, ladies, when you wash your hair the night before, it's kind of a mess and difficult to get to do what you want to do. And so she's messing with her hair. And He's like, come on, it's time to leave. We're going to be late for church. And and he's griping at her, you know, yelling across the house, goes out and starts the car up in the garage, and he's honking the horn, and, and you know that's, not the bad, that's a bad thing to do if you're married, right? And so finally she comes out, and they are just like mad at one another. They're driving down the road on the way to the church, and get to the church, they got to go by a couple of farms. As they're driving past these farms, there's one that has a bunch of goats, a bunch of pigs, a bunch of donkeys, and he looks over at her and smugly says, those must be relatives of yours. Very quickly, she says, yep, (laughs) in-laws. Relationships are difficult. You've you've got spouses and children and family and friends, and and having a relationship with those people is difficult in life. Every single one of them brings with them their personality that's probably different than yours. Someone has a a, a clashing personality with you and they may be a relative of yours. It may be one of your children. Your spouse usually absolutely has a different personality than you. And all of a sudden you get joined together with this person in relationship and you got to deal with their personalities and the, the quirks that they bring to that. They have their different opinions. You know one of the hard things about two people becoming one in a relationship is when they're working on which one they're going to become. It, it, there's a struggle there and there's a fight because we have different opinions. we got different desires and goals. You come from different walks of life and everything's different. Different attitudes. Oh, if you've got a, someone under the, above the age of 12, under the age of 21 in your house, you know you can get some serious attitude. And, and it makes relationships difficult. It it makes relationships one of those things that's difficult to work with. One of the interesting things about relationships, it's usually those that are closest to us that have the ability to hurt us the most. It's not the people that are on the peripheral that have the ability to hurt us. Those people do things that are wrong and and say things to us are wrong. We just, we look at them and go, you're dumb. We label them dirtbags, losers, morons, whatever. And we just say, you know what, they're, they're, they're ridiculous. But it's the people that say the words, I love you, that have the ability to hurt us. Because someone who said, I love you, we've opened up our heart, we've opened up our spirit, and, and they, we've allowed them to draw close to us in a relationship. And unfortunately, it's those people that are closest to us that hurt us the most, there's a saying that I, I thoroughly believe, and it says, the greatest joy and the deepest grief you will ever experience in life will come as a result of your children. What you put in them or what you don't put in them. That great joy that you'll experience by seeing them succeed and become something great in life, it, it, will, it will challenge you. It will excite you. You get excited when you see them succeed and do things great, but when you see them go through painful times, when you see them go through difficulties, sometimes associated because of things that you've put in them, it hurts. I've watched parents who've gone through divorces be able to deal with that, but all of a sudden now that their children are going through a divorce, it's ripping their heart out in ways they never imagined. Because they go, I, know, I realize what they're going through. And your children will bring you your greatest joy and your deepest grief. And it's important that we're doing the things that are necessary to make sure we're doing everything we can to have right relationship with them. To be putting the right things into them. There's probably not a person in this building under the age of 14 that is not having difficulties or problems in one or more relationships in their life. It's just a part of life. We have difficulties. Even the greatest personalities, those that are just kind of friendly with everybody, can point out one or two people. That really aggravate them, one or two people in the family, or people close to you that you're just oh, you're annoyed with. You see, one of the first steps in healing a broken relationship is usually one of the hardest. It's the process of reconciliation. The word reconciliation means it's a settlement. It's creating understanding or, or reaching a resolution. It's coming to a compromise or or a ceasefire, bringing something back together again. If it's a marriage we're talking about, for some of you, you know, it takes two to make love, just like it takes two to make war. There is hardly ever a marital situation that I've been involved with or seen where there's one person who's 100% at fault. It's usually his version, her version, and the truth somewhere in between. You always contribute something to it, usually. And the problems in relationships that we deal with arise for the same reason that problems arise in the church, and that reason is pride. Turn to your neighbor and say, pride. Realize this, according to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, conflict is the child of pride. It's the child of pride, for it says, only by pride cometh contention. And as Americans, we're very aware of when we feel like our rights have been violated. And our pride kicks in. See, if you feel that your, your, your rights have been violated or stepped upon, you're, you're going to rise up and there's going to be a spirit inside of you that's going to fight back for the things that you believe are yours. If you make the assumption that you deserve to have certain privileges or rights just because you exist, there's going to be some problems with your pride. Many of you probably remember the L.A. riots that took place years ago after the Rodney King meeting, and, and, and mayhem took place in the city of Los Angeles. And, and the city is just going ballistic. There, there's riots breaking out and buildings burning down, and, and the police are running instead of coming and responding like they should be. And it's just it's chaos. And, and just like in situations like that, the media has the tendency to put a camera and a microphone right in front of the mouth of the person who has the dumbest things to say. Don't they? All of a sudden, the the camera's showing this city that's being Kmart being looted and and, and buildings burning and they're breaking windows. And they pan around and they, they show the welfare center. And there's a line of about 150, 200 people that are standing there in line to pick up their welfare check. I'm not against welfare. I've been on welfare myself. I grew up with food stamps and all that bit, okay? Government cheese, it's great stuff. It's better than the cheese you buy at the store. But as they're standing there, they're looking. And these poor folks are here because they're not getting their benefits. And they're waiting in line. They've been waiting in line for hours. It was probably like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They've been there since like 9 o'clock in the morning. And they put the microphone in the mouth in front of some lady. She's like, we demand what's ours. They need to get someone down here and open this place up. In fact, they need to come down here. They need to feed us and give us sandwiches. They need to put bathrooms out here too. Because they need to just take care of us. They've done us wrong. And instantly the vast majority of America turned against what was going on in Los Angeles. Because why? Someone who thought they deserved something just because they were alive vocalized something, and they were getting upset, and, and we realized that, that that pride inside that woman was causing her to fight for something in a very foolish manner. When we look at the, what happened there in New Orleans with Hurricane Katrina, these people were warned weeks in advance there is a storm coming like none other before. It's it's going to devastate us. You need to get going. You need to run. And all the people that when pride kicks in says, you know, I've been through storms before. I've seen tons of storms. It's never done anything to us before. I'm staying right here. And those thousands of people who stayed there in spite of all the warnings to leave. It was pride that caused them to stay there. And now all of a sudden they're upset because the national guard's not there to pick them up from their house that's got water up to the roof. There's all kinds of things going on. You see, pride will cause you to plant your feet and fight for things that make you look completely foolish. And conflict is the child of pride. It's pride that causes us to fight and act in in very immature ways. Humility is the fundamental basis for reconciliation and forgiveness. Humbling ourselves. The ability to say... I'm sorry, I I shouldn't have done that. You see, what happens is is pride causes you, uh, everyone in this place, to listen to what I'm saying today and will go, man, I wish so-and-so was here. They they really needed that. I I wish this person, I wish my husband would have been here. That rotten bum really needed what was, was being said today. It causes you to hear what's being said in church services and think about everybody else versus think about what you should get out of this. That's pride. And every single one of us needs to realize God is here for me. Everyone say, God is here for me. Forgiveness means to pardon or to take away. The ability. To forgive or to apologize or to apologize for something is something that 's a characteristic that is learned from our parents. We learn how to apologize by hearing our parents apologize. As a kid, I never remember hearing my parents apologize. I, I can't think of one time in my life where I look back and remember hearing mom say I, i'm so sorry, I overreacted." I don't ever remember hearing dad say, I- I'm sorry, I shouldn't have disciplined you that way. I never saw mom and dad apologize to one another for, for the, the crazy fight that they got involved in the night before. Kind of always they walked around the house silently. And there was a silent treatment. They just kind of sweep stuff under the rug. So therefore, my language of apology was to sleep, sweep things under the rug. So we learn how to apologize from our Our parents. It's something we learn through modeling. We hear, we watch, and we know that's how I apologize. It it was a hard thing for me to be able to work up to the point where I would stand face to face with my wife and say, Babe, I am sorry. I shouldn't have said that to you. It's interesting. I'll see it in my daughter who's 14 years old. She does something wrong to her brother. and She'll stand. I'm like, Brooke, say you're Sorry. I didn't ask you if you were sorry. You're going to be sorry in a second. (laughs) Say you're sorry. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to make you pay him $5. If you don't say I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) Because she saw in me the difficulty to apologize. My son, on the other hand, man, he's quick. He does something wrong. From his little years of uh, of one through five, he saw me and mom going, I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that. And he's real quick on the gun to say, you know, I'm sorry. And I'm asking him, what are you sorry about? I don't know, but I can just tell you're mad. <laughs> and he's learned real quick that if somebody's displeased with him, sorry usually makes things better. There was a couple that had been having kind of an unusually high number of arguments. And there the wife said, you know what, we've been married 12 years and we need to figure something out here that, because you're frustrating me and I'm frustrating you. Let's do this. Let's get a little jar and we'll put it on top of the refrigerator and one will be your jar and one will be my jar. And what we'll do is we'll write our complaints down that we have about the other person. We'll put them in the jar. And At the end of the month, we'll go ahead and pull all the complaints out. So there the, the wife is very diligent about writing all the complaints about. Left the towel on the floor, underwear on the floor, Left the lid off the peanut butter jar. Drank out of the milk carton instead of pouring a cup. You know, all the things that she, were frustrating her about him. And about two weeks into it, she saw that there were more things in her jar than were in his jar. So she thought, oh, I better pick it up. And she's writing more and more things. Finally, the end of the month came and they sat down and they exchanged jars. He's looking at all of them. Oh, man, I didn't realize that. I, I'm sorry. And puts it down. Oh, yeah, you're right. I, I do do that. Ooh, yeah, I remember leaving the toilet seat open that one time when you fell in. And <laughs> reading through them, all of a sudden she opens her jar after some pleasure of seeing him apologize and open the first note that says, I love you. The next note said, I love you. And note after note after note said, I love you. You see, it's the ability to look beyond the problem at the person and realize how valuable They are to you. That's forgiveness. We we can write down the list of faults and failures that people have. Or we can look at them and say, you know what? You're special. You're valuable. And and I love you so much. I want to work with you and I want to vocalize to you how valuable you are to me. Stanford University did something they called the Forgiveness Project. Anybody familiar with the Forgiveness Project by Stanford University? Huge project that went on for probably 40 years, and it's still continuing today. They did a longitudinal study of the power of forgiveness. And they took a group of several thousand people and broke them into two groups. One that was unwilling to forgive wrongs that had been done to them. And another group that they were willing to forgive the people that had wronged them, whether forgiveness was asked for or not. They were willing to sit there with someone and say, you know what, I forgive this person for this act. I forgive this person for that act. And go through this little series of, of just vocalizing forgiveness to people in their life. As they followed these people out 20 and 40 years, they found out that the people who forgave had healthier relationships, had greater spiritual and psychological well-being, had less anxiety, less stress, less hostility, had stronger immune systems had lower blood pressure, lower levels of heart disease, had fewer symptoms of depression, had better finances across the board, were significantly higher in the area of finances, lower risk of alcohol and substance abuse, and lived longer and overall healthier and more fulfilling lives. Because why? The power to forgive someone changes your entire life. The power to say that when someone says, I'm sorry to say, you know what, I forgive you. It changes you, but unforgiveness literally shackles you to the past and shackles you to the person you're unwilling to forgive. I don't want anything to do with that person. They've done me wrong. They've said hurtful things to me. I don't want nothing to do with them. What you've done emotionally and in the spirit realm is you've shackled yourself to that person and don't realize that you are stuck with them. You've stuck yourself in a cell with them. Unable to get out of the cell up here in your mind. There's a stronghold that's been built up here. That because of your inability to forgive, you've locked yourself in a cell with that person. See, unforgiveness can free you from the control that, that past events have exerted over you. There's an 82 year old woman who recently, in the past year or two, had come into my office for therapy. She walked in, I, was, I asked her her age, she was, she was very, you know, she was active, I'm on the second story, and she came up the stairs, and I was thinking, man, she's got to be maybe in her early 70s, late 60s, very, very spry, but she was 82 years old, her husband was 85 years old, and I asked her, I said, so what is it you want, why are you here? She looked at me, and tears began to roll down her face, she says, Jason, I have watched my inability to forgive, destroy my children and my grandchildren. He said, come on, you're going to have to explain more to me than that. Back when she was 25 years old, her husband had an affair on her, had found himself in a moment of moral weakness and made a failure in life. From that moment on, she, she harbored a seed of bitterness inside of her. That, that, that she allowed to grow partially taking care of the fruit that grew from that tree because it empowered her every once in a while when they got into an argument. It, it, it was that, that little seed of revenge and unforgiveness that grew inside of her and allowed her to hold what had happened over her husband's head. And there, when she felt like she was losing in an argument or a situation, she could crank down and grab a hold of that tree that brought back all those rush of feelings of the hurt and the anger and there began to put him in the place uh, that she felt he needed to be put in. What she didn't realize was that tree had a hold of her. And it asserted its pressure and its unforgiveness, not just on her husband, but on her children and on her grandchildren. Now we have three generations of bitter people. Grown up, and she says, you know what, I realize this. At 82 years old, when he was 35 years old, he gave his life to God, and he's been a wonderful a, a member of our church. He's a deacon in our church right now, and is a great man of God. But I still hold the seat of bitterness against him. And I realize this, what I'm afraid of, is if I don't forgive him, I'm not going to heaven. I'm 82 years old. I want to let go of this. Every single one of you here today has an option. You can change things today, or you can live with it for years and years to come and dream about how you wished you would have changed things on that Sunday morning in October. God is giving us this opportunity to look at things in our life and say, yes, I forgive whether forgiveness was asked for or not because I want to unshackle myself from the events and the people of my past. Holding on to the past keeps you from reaching forward to grab the blessing that God has for you in the future. You you gotta let go of those things to be able to grab the blessing of of what God has prepared for you. Uh, If apology is learned from our parents, so is the ability to forgive. I wanna touch on a few things that forgiveness does not do. Forgiveness does not destroy your memory, your mind is, is like a computer that it stores events it, it things that it's seen Things that it's smelt, it's heard, things you felt before, it stores them in your mind to be recalled at, at any given moments of time. In fact, there will be instances where you, you experience something they call deja vu. It feels like I've been here before, I, I've experienced this before. I have individuals in my, my office go through a flashback in their life where, because of what I'm talking about, it triggers something in them. And not only do they have the emotion come back because when that memory is stored, that memory stores the emotion, what the temp- Temperature was like, uh, what, you, what you could smell that day, what the weather was like, and all those things are associated with that. It brings those things back. You feel all that and experience all that. Some of the things that some of you have seen, you'll be standing in an altar of prayer or, or maybe worshiping God and all of a sudden an image or a memory you put in your mind comes flashing back and you go, God, where did that come from? Why is that coming back now? Because your brain is like a computer that stores memories. And, and just because you forgive someone does not mean the memory is gone. There is no such thing as selective amnesia. I, I can select and choose the things I want to forget. I'm horrible at people's names. That's why I thank God we're in church. Oh, brother, good to see you. Man, <laughs> praise God. Sister, oh, yeah, I remember you, sis. Hallelujah. I don't have to call anybody by their first name or their last name. Something I'm horrible with names. But there's other things that I, I just, dumb things that I can't forget. Give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was, if not for the courage of the fearless, the would be lost. Now, what does that add to the value of your life? Absolutely nothing. There's no such thing as selective amnesia. When I was in the, the tape ministry, one of the first ministries I got involved in, in the church was, was recording tapes of people preaching. And we had, we'd make five or six tapes after every service and try to sell them out front. And, and sometimes we'd only sell one or two. And so it, what are we going to do with these other three tapes? They'd sit there and just and fill up a box eventually. Well, we had something called a bulk tape eraser. That was this electromagnetic thing that I'd turn on goes, and it would take off all the information off those tapes instantly. There's some people that I know that wish they could take that to their brain and just go get rid of this information. I, I wish I could forget that. Forgiving someone of something does not mean the memory is gone. Only God can forget. It's something I call the beaten dog syndrome. I had a friend who had this German Shepherd dog. It was a big old burly German Shepherd. It was kind of like more like a mutt. It was German Shepherd and something else. It was a big old dog. And, and, and from the time this dog was a little puppy, he would beat this thing on the nose every time it did something wrong. I mean, he'd haul back and he'd slap it across the nose and, and the, the dog would flinch its head. And now this dog was just monstrous. And they'd walk by, and they'd do something wrong, they'd slap that dog across the face. I'm thinking, that dog is going to tear you up one of these days. And I would reach out to pet the dog, and I'd reach out like that, and it would go, because why? Every time it saw someone reach for him, it thought it was going to be hit. There's some of you in this place this morning. You've, you've associated certain behaviors and actions with abuse that's going to come. You've associated certain words and and things people say certain days of the week and and times of the year where it's cloudy and cold or or maybe hot with certain things that are going to come. You have beaten dog syndrome. And you continue to live your life shackled to the past because you've never forgiven and moved on. Forgiveness does not remove all the painful emotions. One of the reasons why when we get into arguments with people who are close, the reason why it hurts so much is because we expect those that are closest to us to love us, to care for us, to nurture us, to treat us kindly, to be respectful to us. And those that are closest to us, we get their best and we get their worst. Forgiveness does not remove all the painful emotions that you've experienced with the pain of your past. One of the things you've got to do is not allow the memories of the pain of the past to mess up today. Each day is a new day that you have to make a choice about moving into successfully and moving on with things in your life. Forgiveness does not remove the consequences of sin. Some of you are still going to have to deal with the long-term effects of your dumb actions. See, all of us want our our mistakes to go away. It's it's so amazing when I work with couples and, and individuals that come over, they've done something wrong. Their their response is, I've asked for forgiveness, can't we just move on? Because the person who's done something wrong, there's shame associated with sin. Proverbs says about 17 different times that there is shame associated with sin. And those that have committed the sin want that shame just to go away. And of course, when they ask for forgiveness, they want you to forgive. And and they just want to move on, but it, it doesn't happen that way. I wish it was that easy. There's consequences that come as a result of sin. Forgiveness does not rebuild trust. It is someone's changed behavior day by day, week by week, and month by month that rebuilds trust. You, you can't behave appropriately for one week or two weeks and think that everything's going to be okay. Because we know, and I see this with couples so many times okay, yeah, you've apologized, you've said you're sorry, we're going to go through this cycle again where you're going to be good for about another three months and you're going to go do what you've done again. I see this so many times in individuals who get involved with pornographic material where what it does is it cuts to the core of who their spouse is. Because all of a sudden their self-esteem is, is smashed and broken to pieces. And, am I not pretty enough? Am I not beautiful enough that they've got to turn to, to something so unwholesome and inappropriate? And, and that behavior manifests itself and you destroy your spouse when you do that. The agony and the pain you put them through. Well, I'm sorry, you know, it's just a guy thing. It's, it, it's not just a guy thing. It's a sin thing. You'll be good for a while. You go right back to where you came from. The advent of of all the technological ability that cell phones have nowadays. This is becoming the number one method by which most teenagers and adult males look at inappropriate material on the internet. And every time you see that person pick up that phone, you wonder. Because there's an identification with that. Are, Are they doing that again? When I go to look over their shoulder, why do they turn it off real quick and and, and turn the pages? What is it? And and there's a connection with that. And and forgiveness does not rebuild trust. You rebuild trust one hour, one day, one week, one month at a time. You rebuild trust by opening yourself and, and being willing to be vulnerable and transparent to someone around you. Yes, I'm sorry I've done that in the past, but let my actions from this day forth show you that I'm a changed individual. It takes time to rebuild trust. Forgiveness is in an instant. But it doesn't mean I've rebuilt my trust. famous president said, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Forgiveness does not always result in reconciliation. I've got to be very honest with you this morning. There are some relationships that will not be reconciled. There are some relationships that are not in your best interest as a child of God for you to reconcile. There are some connections with extended family that you might have that it's to your best interest that you never reconcile with them. As long as they stay where they're at. Let me clarify that. Someone chooses to remain in a sinful lifestyle and engage in sinful behaviors and activities. I'm sorry, but I I, I forgive them and I I want to reach them, but I can't go to where they're at. The alcoholic shouldn't go to the bar to reach to those that are drunks and recovering. There are some people that I will never allow around my children because I know there's inappropriate behaviors and actions they've engaged in. They're family members of mine. And because of the things they've done, they will never get within a 10-foot radius of one of my kids. That's just a decision I made, and that might be a a, a worldly, secular decision, but until I see repentance inside of them, until I see forgiveness, until I start seeing the fruits uh, of the Holy Ghost working inside of their life, I'm putting up a wall to protect those that are valuable to me. Let me just speak to some. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. Don't let this sermon message this morning about forgiveness just make you really nilly open up every single door to everyone you've had a problem with in your life. There are some doors that God shut that He wants to stay shut because there's a reason. You can't go back to some of those old behaviors. You can't get your kids around some of those people because they're going to have an influence upon them. It is your responsibility to protect those that are valuable to those around you. You've got to put that hedge up. And that's, that's, that's in your nature. Man, if, if someone was going to hurt this little boy right here, you would see this little gentleman, right, little gentleman, this tall gentleman, <laughs> become a vicious giant. He would take someone's head off. Because why? He, he might be a godly man. He was up here willing to pray with people earlier on. He was laying hands on you, praying for you. He's going to lay hands on you and tweak your... (laughs) Women, in times of war, were shown to be some of the most ferocious and deadly. Because why? There was a protective mechanism that God had placed inside of them. And there in the French Revolution, when that soldier came kicking through the door, that mama got all over that dude and dismembered soldiers. Because why? She's protecting those babies behind her. God has shut some doors in your life that need to stay closed. You need to forgive. But the door stays shut. That's a difficult road to walk. You need to forgive for what they've done, for what they've said. Forgiveness is is not what you do for them, it's what you do for you. It really isn't about them, it's what you do for you. Letting someone out of the prison of revenge really is doing nothing more than letting yourself out of that prison with them. And as Christians, we have this thing where, well, I'll I'll go ahead and let them go, and I'll I'll give them over to God, because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God, I want you to get them. God, I want you to to just rain down lightning and thunder and destroy them. And when we see their life go bad, we're like, yes, God, you got them. Woohoo! And really all you've done is hold on to a little bit of revenge. There was a woman who was walking through the forest here in Southern California up in the mountains. And she was an avid outdoor enthusiast, just loved the mountains. And one day she's walking around kind of a blind turn up on the trail. She come across a mother bear and her cub. And there that mother bear, in an attempt to protect her cub, attacked this woman. And there attacked her for, for several minutes and finally turned away and ran off as other hikers scared the bear off. The woman was able to make it to the hospital and survived her injuries, but she was severely wounded. But but, but she loved the outdoors still. After all the rehab and years of rehab and, and the surgery she had to have to be able to just help her walk normally, one of the desires she had to do was go back up to the mountains and go hiking again. There, after several years finally went by, she had the opportunity and she had the strength and the stamina once again to go on this hike. And as she's going around this very similar blind turn, she sees off in the distance a deer run off up the hill. And she's startled and jumps back. And she sees that deer and she realizes, oh, it's a deer. She enjoys and watches the beauty of Mother Nature as it runs up the hill and runs away. You see, it would be illogical for her to respond to the deer as if it were the bear. But those of you who do not forgive people in your life will find yourself unconsciously responding to people in your life as if they are the bear because you've never let go of it. Your past ultimately becomes one of two things. It becomes an anchor that holds you or a rudder that guides you. And you determine which one it becomes. It's an anchor that holds you where you're at. You blame everything in your life on that broken relationship. You blame everything in your life on on that instance, and you use it as as an anchor that holds you and keeps you from becoming and and having the great relationships you want in your life. Or you can use it as a rudder that guides you. That says, it's still there. The past will always be there. You can't selectively let go of it. But you just use it to begin to direct you. Oh, I've been around people like that before. Let me turn this way and go this way. I've been around people that have said things and hurt me like that before. Let me address it in this way to be able to deal with it. That I'm not bound and held up by the things of my past. I'm using my past as a weapon and a tool with people that I deal with today to be able to help lead them to Christ and influence them. You are the only one that determines what your past becomes. The memory you have might be on the road map of where you came from. But I thank God it's not on the road map of where you're going to. It's there. It's in my past, but it's not where I'm headed. I'm not going back. I'm looking to where I'm going to. God has great things for you, and you've got to stop looking at the things of the past, the brokenness, the tragedy, and realize that it's there, but it's not who God wants you to be. Because unforgiveness eventually turns to bitterness, and bitterness in your life will poison every relationship you have with your children, with your spouse, with your relatives. Your co-workers. We look in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times. Seven uses that question posed by Peter to launch into a parable he tells about a king who decides to bring into account all the, uh, uh, the up-to-date the servants who had borrowed money from him. As he brings in one servant who, some scholars believe, had billion, borrowed close to a million dollars. There he could not repay him, so the master said, sell him, his wife, his children, everything he owns to pay the debt. There the man falls down and begs and pleads the master, please be patient with me, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to pay you everything I have. And there the master is moved with sympathy and forgives the man of the entire debt. That servant gets up and walks out and comes across another servant who scholars say owed him maybe compared to what he owed maybe just a thousand dollars. And he grabs that servant by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me. There, that man like him falls down on his knees and says, please be patient with me. I'm going to repay this to you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to get the money back to you. But he is unforgiving and unwilling to allow that man to do that. So he throws him in the prison and there to stay until he's able to repay the debts. Some of the servants who were there when that man was forgiven of his humongous multi-million dollar debt, they see what goes on. They run back to the king and they tell him what had gone on. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I've forgiven you this tremendous debt because you pleaded with me and begged with me. Shouldn't you have been merciful to your fellow servant just as I had mercy upon you? Then the angry king sent the man to the prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. This verse 35 says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother." and sister, from your heart. Scripture clearly says, your inability to forgive someone who has done something wrong to you, literally drags your sin back out from under the blood, that which God had forgiven you of, and puts it back on your life, because of your unwillingness to forgive. I want the musicians to begin to move and come at this time. One of the things the power of the Holy Ghost does, you see, when you, when you stand and ask God to forgive you, God can forgive you. He cannot forgive for you. God can forgive you, but He cannot forgive for you. You see, true forgiveness can only happen when you give up all hope of revenge. Even God taking revenge on them. There's a man in my life who at five years of age Had taken his position of authority. And misused it. He was abusive with me. In numerous ways. that I'm not going to go into. I thought I'd gotten over that. I thought I'd moved past that. Years had gone by. I got married, had a baby girl. I remember walking down the street, it was Thanksgiving. We always go to my parents' house for Thanksgiving, and we're walking down the street, and I got my little girl in, in a, a, uh, a radio flyer. We're playing and going back and forth. We're just having a good time. Other family members are there, my mom, my dad, my wife, my sister, and some other relatives. All of a sudden, I see that man walk out from the house, who I did not expect to see. Something flipped in me, Brother Brown. Obviously, that which I thought I was over, I was not. So I dropped the handle of that radio flyer, and rage overcame me that kind of fatherly rage. And I curled up my fist. And everyone around me noticed a different atmosphere. And I, I was walking towards that man. All I knew was that I was going to kill him. I was going to kill him. That's the only thought I had in my head was just to kill him. He saw me from a distance, turned around, and ran back in the house. It, it, it took me an hour or more to calm down. So I began talking about it with a friend of mine. He says, You know why that happened? There's two reasons Number one Your daughter's five years old And it's that protective instinct That flew up inside of you that says I'm going to protect what's mine The second thing was Unforgiveness Unforgiveness I never really had forgiven him That was tough It was tough to be able to pray a prayer For someone that I hope would see die That's tough To say God Forgive them For something I wanted to see him struck by lightning for The greatest thing that some of you could do this morning To heal a broken and wounded relationship is let go of some things from the past. To say the words, Jesus, my Father, take that blood that you shed on Calvary. Go to that person's name in the Lamb's book of life. You see those things they've done against me. I want you to take that blood and I want you to... Wipe away that sin and forgive them for what they've done. Any possibility of revenge, oh God. I want to to model myself after what you did on the cross when you cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want you to stand with me this morning. He hath sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to wrap that individual's heart and their spirit that's been broken by behaviors and actions of people of the past, to wrap them that the Spirit of God might come in this morning where you stand and wrap you in such a way that you can begin to let things go that shackles that have held you for so long can begin to fall off disappointments and hurts that you can let yourself free from that thing of the past to proclaim liberty to the captives I want you to close your eyes this morning I'm done but what I want to say to someone here this morning the door to the cell that holds you for far too long, stands wide open this morning. The door to that cell that has kept you bound in that relationship or in that situation and that hurt and all that pain stands wide open this morning and you have a choice. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're struggling with unforgiveness in your heart this morning. That's the first step that you need to take to healing a broken relationship I want everyone right now to pray with me Jesus I want you to take your blood I want you to go to that person's name in the Lamb's book of life I want you to wash away Their sin they committed against me. You're beginning to feel that emotion. But it's not just that emotion. It's the strength of the Spirit of God moving on you right now. It's the strength of the Spirit of God that is nudging you step out of that cell right now. Come on, disconnect yourself from that. That I might be able to heal the broken relationships that you're in right now. That my spirit might be able to help you become the individual you need to become, but you got to step out of that cell right now. I want to open up this altar right now that are feeling the pulling of the Spirit of God speaking to them. Step out of that cell. I want you to step out from where you're at into the aisle and make your way to this altar right now and say, Jesus, I want to be set loose from this right
1: now. Hallelujah, Jesus, set me free out of this cell, God, that I've been bound in for far too long. Hallelujah, come on, that's it. Step out from where you're at right now. Walk up to the front of this altar and say, God, I need that forgiveness. I want to forgive them. I need to be cut free, Lord jesus in your name as a body right now why don't we step out from where we're at let's all make our way to the front of this altar right now and begin to pray with one another for ourselves. jesus do a work in my life oh lord jesus heal this broken relationship oh god heal the wounds and the hurt oh god which i've carried for far too long hallelujah i Right now who's needing a hand on their shoulder of a fellow brother or sister why don't you begin to pray with somebody that's next to you that you can become a vessel of ministry that helps set them free right now from that which has bound them yeah. I need you to listen to me there's individuals around you right now they're finally having the courage to step out of that sail that has bound them for far too long you need to let the Holy Ghost lead and direct you as a child of God to begin to pray with them in a boldness and an authority that that which has bound them will bind them no longer the forgiveness they needed Will wash over them and heal them of that which they've struggled with hallelujah come on you find someone next to you put your arm around and pray with them Jesus yeah nothing you just to trust me right now but you got to understand this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum all by itself if you have a family member here i want you to find them i want you to get a hold of them right now families are not only a
0: place where the deepest hurts take place but they're the place where god has ordained for the deepest healing to take place within the construct of people that we deem
1: safe of individuals we look to for comfort. I want you to find a family member right now. Join with them. Arm in arm, begin to pray with them. Oh, Jesus, in your name. <laughs> oh, if you don't have family member here, you're a part of this family in this church. You'll find somebody else, another church member you can join with right now. Oh, you join up with them. you begin to pray right now. Oh, Jesus, in your name. God let this healing wash over my family Let these relationships God Which should be the strongest Would be restored Would be renewed Would be empowered Would be touched by the power Of the Holy Ghost this morning Come on I need mothers who will pray in the Holy Ghost I need fathers who will rise up and pray in the spirit, Jesus, in your name. That which Satan meant to destroy you, God can turn to glory. That which you thought was going to tear you apart, God is going to rebuild. The valley of Acorn of trouble becomes a door of hope. Yeah, Let your hope rise. Let your hope rise.
2: Já
3: are married you have your wife with you your husband with you want to do something just go with them right now and pray with them if you got a mom and a dad that's here why don't you find them, become a family right now and pray with them right now go find your wife go find your husband bring them drag them whatever you got to do and just pray with them right now unity in the church is unity in the family It starts at home. We've got to be a united front on the family side. So if you've got your mom and your dad or just one of them, just go with them right now and pray with them. Just hug them. Just put your arm around them right now. Strong families make for a strong church. And I want you just to go ahead and begin to pray. Now here's the thing. I want you to pray for your dad. I want you to pray for your husband. Pray with him. Pray that God would strengthen him. That God would fortify him. That God would do his thing and his work in through him. And then go down the line with your mom and then the family. So can you do that right real quick? While we're in the Holy Ghost, as the Holy Ghost is here, you can feel God mending and healing. Just go ahead and do so right now. Pray for them. Pray for your dad first. Pray for your husband first. Pray over their lives. Pray that God would make them sensitive. Pray that God would move through them. Pray that God's anointing would be upon them. Pray that God would do a work through them. Pray that God would just be released in them, through them. And then pray for your mom pray for your wife, that she be that person that God's called them to be that God would just uh, uh, direct them right now and and lead them and and that the structure of the home would be intact in Jesus name you pray for them, not me, I'm not going to pray for them, you pray for them God is doing a healing. Amen. Strong families. Just continue to pray for your family. you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for my mom and my dad and my husband, my wife, my children. Amen. God is good. God is good. Amen. And let's all stand. Just touch the person next to you. Lay hands on their shoulder. Let's pray that God continue to do his work in us, through us through our church, through our families, that God would strengthen, propel us into where he wants us to go, wants us to be. Amen. Jesus, we come before you this afternoon. We thank you for your goodness, for the message, for the healing virtue that has flowed in this place. Lord, continue to teach us and show us, give us understanding beyond our years lord on the necessity of forgiveness going forward lord we pray right now in the name of jesus your hand be upon us as we exit this place go with us don't leave us lord but help us to carry this out into the community that we show one from another the love the brotherly love the sisterly love one to another and show this lost and dying world that we do indeed know the lover of our souls. We pray right now, Lord, bless every family, bless every individual that has come into this place, that you continue to be the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings in their households. We pray this right now in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. I'm going to challenge you, not only hug your family, But I want you to go and hug five people outside your relative blood, you know, your bloodline. Five people outside your bloodline. And give them a hug and tell them how much you appreciate them, you love them in the Lord. Just a reminder, as you're doing so, there's cake, refreshments as you exit the door for pastor's appreciation. Please join us in in partaking of that. Uh, You're dismissed in Jesus' name.